The Lord has stirred this in my heart as I reflect upon today's message. But as we, you know, as we sing these songs and allow these lyrics to become the honest expression of our own hearts, you know, so often we have things going on in our lives and we have, we have experiences like we have feelings and, and, uh, and, and experiences in our life that we have a hard time articulating. But sometimes these songs help us to really express our worship and our gratitude to the Lord. You know, it's, it's an incredible thing to realize that it is God's heart. It is his, it is his passionate objective to, to be intimate with us, to draw near to us. And and not only that, but to have us near him like he he longs for us to be in his presence. But there's this issue. There's this this epidemic that humanity is plagued with because of the fall. There's sin. And, you know, it's such a challenge to you and I's life, such an example that there was something that was separating us, uh, literally causing us to be dead spiritually and 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 god god wasn't at fault here right and and but god took it upon himself because he only could and when when we were at odds with him when we had had rebelled against him when we had refused his love god demonstrated his towards us and he in his mercy and grace he willingly sent his son like not in a in a moment of response but in a in a planned objective to demonstrate his love to satisfy our sin debt he poured out his wrath man god didn't overlook sin god poured out his wrath on his son on himself because when I say his son himself, because God has no, I mean, like when, when we talk about the unity between the Father, Son, and the Spirit and the unity that he has purchased for us as the church, man, it is, it's one. And so he poured out his wrath on himself in order to draw us near, in order that we would no longer be separated from him, that we would be made alive in God. And this, this, this is something, this is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ that he who had no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Like, man, I hope this morning that you come with hungry hearts. I hope you come with hearts going, God, write your word on it, please. Because we know that we are cleansed by the work of God's spirit and his word. You know, like... And, and the bride, as it's described in Ephesians 5, like the bride is cleansed by the working of the word. And so I hope that you've come this morning. I know that I am passionate about, I mean, this message is so critical. Um, and, and if you think about this, like it's, it's a belief in God's word. It's a, it's a trust, an assurance of his promises. It's putting our confidence and trust in his word that brings us to a point of being saved and being a new creation it's us saying god revealing himself to us assuring his promises and us just putting our confidence in what he has done and it's not our faith that saves us it is it's what our faith is in (laughs) and uh but when we when we believe him at his word like miraculous things happen the old is gone behold all things are no we are literally new creations because we believe like we have, we have believed the truth. And that doesn't, that doesn't end there. The gospel is something, as Trevor said this morning, it's not A to A, B, and C, it's A to Z. Like it's, it continues to, to, to perfect us as Christ. It continues to, the, the church uses the word, make us holy, sanctify us. It continues to transform us as we believe God's word. And there's this, something this morning that we are called to understand, to ingest, to swallow, and, uh, and to believe. And, and if, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we do, man, this is, this is critical to overcome, to overcome sin and understand that the reign of sin is over. It is over. Um, I've asked Trevor to read this passage for us this morning. So if you would, um, 
and I hope you do, grab a Bible if you don't have one. There are some in the seat, uh, seats in front of you there. Um, and if you don't have one, please let it be our privilege to sew one into your life. That would be an honor. Um, but if you do have one, make sure you bring it with you and have it on your lap and be prepared to, uh, to be a student of the Word, a learner. That's what a disciple is. And so let's, uh, let's dive into this passage. Romans 6, uh, verses 1 to 14. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him, In a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Awesome. Thank you, Trevor. Um, Verse 10, for the death Christ, he died. He died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In other words, seeking God's glory, his presence, his proclamation as an example, as like this is what it looks like for us. Man, let's, uh, let's just pray for just a moment. Father, we pray that, uh, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, that they would be pleasing in your sight, Lord, that you would, that you would do the miraculous work of granting understanding in this moment to your sacred word, that it would truly be written upon our hearts in such a profound and permanent way that only you can do, that it would change the way we live, that it would be a miraculous work, Lord, that would move us um, to victorious living, understanding that sin no longer reigns, but grace to us. And uh, let that be not only the experience of our life, but the, but the dedication and the de- declaration of our life. Um, we praise you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So for the first five chapters, because we're making a transition here, let's never forget that this is a letter. Uh, Paul has written this letter to a church he's yet to visit. He is, uh, he's proclaiming the gospel to Rome. Um, this is truly a letter that helps us to understand the grace that we've been given. Um, and the first five chapters, we have uh, come to understand what, what the gospel has accomplished for us in the first five chapters. In the, the, the chapters 6 through 8, which we're just about to enter into, deep and rich um, theology that uh, helps us to understand uh, what is accomplished in us through the gospel. Okay, not for us, but now we're talking very practically what is accomplished in us through the gospel. So there's some mysteries here that require us just to um, just to hear the the wonder of what God has done for us in Christ and to continue to believe the richness of the union that we have with Christ, even in his death. Like his death is our death to sin. He he satisfied our debt and we are no longer under the tyranny of sin. So in order to really grasp this, because Paul is, like I said, this is a letter and there is, uh, there is um, you know, there's context here from chapter 5. I'm going to back up to verse 17 uh, of chapter 5 and read through verse 21. And it says this, for if because of one man, speaking of Adam's 
um, trespass, death reigned through that one man, through and into all humanity. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass, speaking of the, 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 the trespass in the garden, um, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, speaking of Christ Jesus' sacrificial act at the cross, the many will be made, made righteous. So one of the things, one commentary on this particular point in the passage is in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece, workmanship, created, formed in Christ Jesus. See, we're new creations in Christ, through Christ. We are formed and created in Christ. And there's a, there's a purpose for that, that we may do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, that we might be, we might be instruments of the gospel, that we might be those that declarate or demonstrate God's attributes. Now, verse 20 continues, the law came in to increase the trespasses, our awareness of sin, but not only that, our appetite for sin. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this, this is amazing love. I mean, amazing love that's demonstrated here that we are given righteousness by faith. And now we have standing, as we talked about in the first part of chapter five, we have standing with God. We have been justified. And just to review what that means is we, we have peace with God. We have access to God. Like because our sin no longer separates us. The word death in the Hebrew really, really means separation. So we are no longer separated from life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We're no longer separated from love. God is love. Uh, first Corinthians four, I mean, uh, first John four sixteen. Like, so we understand that like everything that we're desperate for is found in God. And one of the things that, that I think I've, I've heard recently that really impressed um, what was impressed upon my heart is this. If, if, if heaven is being in God's presence, like that's, I mean, where God is, that's what heaven is, like his presence. And if that is the, if that is, if, if that's what Christ purchased for us, if that's our eternal destiny, and that's our, that's our great reward and the joy and our inheritance, um, man, should we not be pursuing his presence now? Like, should, should not that be, uh, should we not be getting familiar with what eternity is going to be, going to be all about? And, uh, and it's all about being in His presence. And this is what He's purchased for us, that we would no longer be separated, but that we would be reconciled to God, that we would, that we would have close, intimate proximity. So justified means that we have peace with God. There's no longer animity between us and God, that we are, we are, we, we've gained access into His presence. And that the glory of God is being revealed to us and re- revealed through us and will ultimately be perfectly revealed to us and revealed through us. And this is, this is the work that Christ accomplished for us. We are no, no longer separated from life and love, um, but now we have been reconciled to the one that, uh, that justifies. So this is amazing that we are given righteousness by faith to stand. Nothing we do can merit our justification. Nothing. But the obvious question is, if our good deeds have no value to save us, why be good at all? In other words, if we, can, if we can't be good by God's standard of goodness, and we are saved by His righteousness, in other words, His perfect goodness and not ours, why try? That's the question that's being posed at the, at the beginning of chapter 6, and it reads like this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul makes a case uh, leading into this chapter that, man, grace overshadows our sin. Grace overshadows um, Adam's condemnation. That is now the, the, uh, the status of all humanity. And, uh, and it abounds in that, in that measure. 
Uh, what, what, what was done in one man, Adam, um, now through one righteous act in Christ overshadows for, for not n- those that were made sinners are now made righteous. And in the right standing of Christ, in the, in the righteousness of Christ, we stand before a just God, uh, justified. This is a, this is the glorious good news. But the question is, so, by continuing in my sin, I, can, I can, can continue to show off God's grace. I can abound. I mean, is, is, this, is this a license to sin? Is this a license to continue uh, in sin because God's grace abounds? And does it really demonstrate his grace for us to continue to sin? It's really, uh, you know, on some levels, it seems like a silly question. The question, does, is, the question is, does the gospel change us? And if it does change us, how so? And does this gospel encourage us to continue in sin, counting on the reign of grace? Does that, is that what, what this gospel that overshadows our sin encourages us to do? And, and Paul, in some translations, say, God forbid, or by no means, in verse 2 it continues, how can we who died to sin still live, uh, the understanding there is walk, in it how can we still live in sin how can we walk in sin if we've already died to sin and that is the the quenching of that argument is that we understand that at the cross over 2000 years ago Christ not only died he died for us he died in our place he 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 died for our sin for our sake he who had no sin died for our sin willingly like freely, as the passage says earlier, freely giving his life, freely um, laying down his sinless life, sharing his righteousness with us, though we had no way of reconciling ourselves to God, he did, and he was faithful. So the only way that we could have that perspective on the gospel is to understand um, if we had the perspective that, oh, well, you know, shall I go on sinning so that grace may abound? Is if we had a, a an incredible misunderstanding or were yet to understand the richness of the gospel and the profound love of God that was that motivated the cross. The reign of righteousness follows the death, follows the death to sin. And the sign of that death is our baptism, as the passage continues, which is a symbol of the union which Christ and his church, I'm sorry, and with Christ in his and our death to sin. So what does it mean? We who died to sin. We who died to sin. So when Christ died for our sin, we died to the reign and tyranny of sin in our life. Do, do, you know, and I think in order to understand this, we have to understand what it's not saying. Because I think there's been a lot of Christians I've seen as uh, Christians are baptized. You know, they come to Christ and, and are baptized. We'll talk about that in a minute. That um, they find themselves in a short proximity of you know, falling to sin or being being susceptible to its power and wondering, well, what's going on here? I thought that I would I would not be contending with this any longer. And so we must understand uh, what d- death or dying or died to sin does not mean. It doesn't mean um, that we will no longer want to sin. That's not what it means, that we will no longer want to sin, because why later on in the same passage would it say in verses 12 and 13, let not sin therefore reign, let not sin no longer reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death, the wages of sin, to life to Christ. And your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Let, there's this, we, we now have been brought into a freedom where we have, you know, before we, before we're liberated by Christ's sacrificial work, we don't even, we don't, in, in most cases, we don't even acknowledge sin as sin. We don't even see our, our deeds that are of blatant disregard for God's standards as sin. And, uh, and and most of the time in that in that in that state we uh we reject the mercy and grace that is extended to us but what we must understand that it does not mean that we no longer want to sin but now that we're liberated we have 
the ability to choose sin and also to choose righteousness. And the Spirit compels us, empowers us, and leads us to, uh, to that. Number two of what it doesn't mean, it does not mean that believers will never sin again. It doesn't mean that. How many can testify to that being the truth? You know, it doesn't mean we are saints, declared saints by the righteous and finishing work of the cross, by the fact that we're blameless and holy. I mean, otherwise, how can, a, how can God's spirit tabernacle these bodies? You know, um, that, that is our status before God. But we're sins, we're, we're saints that sin. And, uh, and so that's why we, uh, as, the, as John the Baptist said to the, to the Pharisees, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The difference between the church and those that are outside of the church is, uh, is the church repents, continues to walk in repentance, continues to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And so, uh, again, what it doesn't mean is that, um, is that we never sin again. And thirdly, it does not mean that it is a process of slowly moving away from sin or that sin is weakening in us. Um, what we must understand and what is being stated here is that we have died to sin because Christ died for sin. Okay? And not just for sin in general, but for my sin. And so the, the reign and tyranny of sin that enslaves us to our sinfulness and dictates our sinful behavior has now been, has, has been dethroned. I mean, through Christ's death, sin has been conquered. Uh, the grave has been, the separation, death has been overcome by death. And so, um, but, but, but what is not happened here is that we still contend with, uh, with the sin that, let me give you an example. This helped me to understand. Um, you know, many of us don't remember the, the American Civil War, but we know prior to that, that slavery was, um, was, was uh, a part of the culture unfortunately. And so, um, but prior to, the, I mean, after the, uh, the, the American Civil War, slavery was abolished. But was slavery still a conditionally a part of the culture? And those that maybe were enslaved from when they were born or grew up in slavery, do you think there was some conditioning there that, that kind of, you know, that they had a struggle to walk out of that, you know, maybe calling some, you know, a, a person of a different uh, color uh, master or you know just a conditioning of their slavery that they they continue to and and do you think that their culture continue to have um slave-like you know um references and and there was still prejudice within the culture and it's the same for us you know often uh we're we're liberated from the you know because it's it's if we really understand it it's a legal standing before god and he's the ultimate judge and the only one that matters and so legally before God, we, sin is dead to us. It no longer reigns over us. Um, and much like in the uh, American Civil War, abolished slavery no longer was, uh, was legal. But because, because um, that was true, that was their legal standing, but because of their conditioning or their experiences, oftentimes they continue to walk in that. And didn't understand. Jim Jim brought up a, a great illustration in class. If you've seen Shawshank Redemption, you know the uh, the older man that uh, was the librarian for years. Um, and uh, once he got his freedom, after years and years or decades of being uh, incarcerated, uh, when he got his freedom, he had found himself in a hotel room not knowing how to live free. And he ended up hanging himself. Um, and so um, what we have to understand is that it's, it's something that we have to continually, um, under the, the tutelage of the Holy Spirit, continue to understand that we are no longer slaves to sin. The reign of sin, because of Christ's finishing work, is over. And now we are liberated, but, um, but, but sin is still a part of our culture. It's still a part of our nature. It's something, so the truth has to continually set us free that we're not, we're not enslaved to sin any longer. So the big idea for this morning is this. The reign of sin is over. That's something that we need to continually allow the, the, the Word of God and the Spirit of God to bathe over our lives is that I'm, I'm no longer a slave to sin. Um, in, in Second Corinthians, excuse me, First Corinthians, chapter ten, in verse thirteen, uh, I'm going to read it to you because uh, it's so important we understand that we're never trapped by sin. 
we're never, we're never uh, in a situation where uh, God is not providing a way out for us. And it says this in verse 13. It says, no, t- no temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of, of escape that you may be able to endure it. You know, uh, in First John chapter 1, verse 8, it tells us that if we claim that we are without, without sin, that we're a liar and the truth's not in us. Um, and, and, uh, and then it continues that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So understanding that we as sinners continue to fight the good fight of faith and we continue to battle with sin within and without, but, but the tyranny, the reign of sin has been, has, been, has been defeated at the cross. And so now we're no longer slaves to that. The moment you put your faith in Christ, you are no longer under the ruling power of sin. Man, that's good news this morning. That is, that is, that is a motivator that continues to, uh, to seed our hearts with resolve to, to reject the moments of temptation and realize that I'm not bound to my sin. I'm not, I'm not stuck in my sin. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, uh, trapped in this moment that, that God's spirit, if I yield to his will and desire, will empower me for radical obedience. And, uh, that's good news. Now, let me be clear. Uh, sin still has power, but here's the thing, but not over you but not over you. Before you were in Christ, sin ruled or reigned in us, as the passage says. In other words, we could not resist it. And in in most cases, we didn't even see it or understand it or acknowledge it as sin. Outside of Christ's righteous, uh, righteous reign, we are controlled by sin, the scriptures declare. And we are no longer under that control. Now, under the reign of grace, we have the strength and the freedom to resist and to rebel against sin. So here, if you want to be a rebel, let me give you something to rebel against, sin itself, right? And, and not only can I, can I challenge you to that, God's Spirit will empower that rebellion, okay? Because we, we are this, and, and that's the sanctifying work of the Spirit, is, is, to, is to wage war against the sin. We, we, under, we have to understand it's a battleground. And, and God is conquering and has conquered. I mean, sin no longer has tyranny, but, but he is conquering our lives uh, day by day, moment by moment, place by place. So we have a new sovereign. We have a, we have a new reigning king. And it's a, it's a king that is filled with grace and mercy. Uh, in, first, in Colossians 1.13, it says this way, He, referring to God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us. Like, this is nothing that we could do. We are transferred. Like, I love all the different illustrations talking about, like, that we are ambassadors or we are now citizens of a new kingdom or we are now adopted children. Like, just all these different aspects that help us to understand that we have been transferred, this passage say, uh, he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Christ is Lord and he reigns in love and in power and in grace and mercy. He's satisfied the very element that has, that has caused division, that has caused uh, the lack of peace in our relationship. And now the death that was, uh, that was our constant companion is, is now replaced with life through the ministry of grace and righteousness. This is uh this is an awesome thing, man. We, we've got to bathe our hearts in the scriptures because it is so, it is so profound. It's such a profound gift. It's so hard. It, without the Spirit's help, we can't understand it. But here's the thing. The more we understand it, the more our lives become victorious. Because, listen, you weren't transformed into a new creation until you believe the gospel. And as we continue to believe God's word, it, it, it powerfully transforms the way we live. Look, God doesn't want us to be these... Um, these, uh, the, you know, struggling believers that lack joy. He wants us to be victorious believers that walk in, in victory over the sin that we, uh, that we struggle and battle with. 
And this is the mindset. Please hear that, that this is the mindset that we as believers need to uh, ask the Holy Spirit for us to, to understand. Um, that, that sin's tyranny has, has, uh, has been defeated and Christ is on the throne. That's good news. I love this. In, in uh, Acts chapter 26, Paul is recounting his uh, conversion uh, from Acts chapter 9 and his road to Damascus experience. And throughout Acts, he, he basically testifies to, his, to his, his testimony to his transformation. And here in Acts 26, he says this, that Jesus is talking to him. So we get an idea because um, along the way, in order to get a full picture of Paul's, that experience that happens in Acts 9, we have to read the testimonies of Paul throughout the book of Acts because there's nuances in every account that add to that to that moment. And here we see a nuance of of what Christ was sharing with him in that moment. And it says Jesus continues in this passage, picking up in the second part of verse 17, Acts chapter 26. And he says, I am sending you speaking to Paul to them, those that and he's talking about the Gentiles and to the Jews uh, in some cases um, to open their eyes. To, to grant spiritual understanding. Uh, last Wednesday we talked about this, that, that we can have eyes but be in complete darkness and we don't see. And Jesus, Jesus pointed to the Pharisees and said, you are blind for that same reason. But we talked about that light is sight. That when, 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 when light comes in to a very dark circumstance, all of a sudden vision comes with it. Does that make sense? And that vision is spiritual vision. And God longs to give us uh, a revelation of himself. He wants, to, he wants to reveal himself to us. He wants to give us spiritual eyes. But that comes through a, a moment of, of confession, humble belief, and acknowledging him as Lord. And, and he opens our eyes. And Paul would go about and declare the gospel. And he says, I am sending you to them to open their eyes so they may turn, repent from darkness Turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So we get another nuance of the conversation or the, or the, the declaration that, uh, that Jesus had to Paul in that, in that moment. And see, this is the heart of God. This is the mission that God, that Christ spoke over his missionary. And he said this, he says that, that I want to move them. I want to turn them from darkness to light. This is God's heart for us and for, for the world that, that we get to be missionaries too and the power of Satan to move them, right? To move them from the power of Satan to God. Man, Satan has a, a clear objective that we see in Scripture. Though he parades as an angel of light, his objective is a, he's a roaring lion seeking to devour, First Peter says. Um, or we, we understand that he's a, a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come, right, John 10? I have come that they might have life. Like, look, life is the absence of death. And death is the cause, is, is because of separation. What is the cause of that separation? Sin. What did, what did Jesus Christ do on the cross? He died to sin. Not his sin, but yours and mine. The tyranny of sin is over. Like, guys, that is incredibly good news today. That, and it's something that liberates us and motivates us. Consider or count yourselves dead to sin and alive in God or in Christ, the passage continues to say later. Like, we must, we must constantly bathe our understanding and, and beg the Holy Spirit to immerse us in this, in this truth that that sin's tyranny is over and so we are not bound to it any longer. We are not slaves to it any longer. We are freed for joyful obedience to Christ. Man, that is good news. If you are a follower of Christ, you are dead to sin and no longer have to obey it. Is that not good news? You, you, you don't have to obey it anymore. The truth is, those are out there that are outside of Christ. Man, with great compassion... Uh, and, and we should be motivated to be instruments of mercy and grace that they have no other longing but the sin that dwells within them. And so how are they, how are they supposed to see their sin? 
I mean, it's God's revelation. It's, it's when God reveals. And remember Peter? Peter's in a boat full of fish. You'd think this would be the most glorious moment on the planet for a fisherman in Luke chapter 5. And rather than going, yeah, and he's got two boats full of fish that are almost sinking, and he's on his knees in front of a rabbi that he used to call master, and now he calls Lord. And it's because he's seen him for who he is. God has revealed to him through this glorious moment. And he says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Guys, we need to see our sin. But we need to we need to more profoundly see that our sin has been satisfied by a righteous act that a willing God, a God that loved us so desperately, came and died for our sin, not his sin. He had no sin. The righteousness that 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 he had, he gave us in this great exchange so that we might be able to stand and be reconciled to the God of the universe and live and live. And this is what he wants. I have come that you might have. Life and life to the full or life abundantly. This is the heart of God. So verse two continues. How can we who died to sin? Do you, do you get the sense that that's in a past tense? How can we who have, who died to sin still live in it? You know, my question as we, as we look at this, it's like, you know, like Paul's going, why would you? You know, like that's my question is why would we? Because we, and, and this is the answer that, that I came to was because we don't understand what we have been bought or brought from and to. And we haven't took an honest and hard look at the cross. Man, if, if with the work, with the help of the Holy Spirit, if we really understood the heart and the motivation of God to do what He did on our behalf, man, I was talking with Roger on Friday night at bowling and, and it's like, man, all we got to do is look, look, take a hard look at the cross. And that's a great motivator to never sin. Does that make sense? No. Right. I mean, like to see the pain and agony, to see the, 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 the willingness, the love that was, that was demonstrated there, that, that to know that, that because of sin, we were dead in our trespasses. To know that we were like worse than that, we were like there was no life in us spiritually, but we were we were separated from God because of it, and that and that Christ came, like took on humanity, flesh, and then lived this perfect life in order to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, and He died so that we might know Him intimately and that we might be loved. Man, when we get that, man, like the choice to sin seems ridiculous. And when we know that we're no longer its slave, we don't have to. And with God's Spirit's help, we don't want to. So when and how did sin or did, uh, did we die to sin? When and how did we die to sin? So the passage continues to explain. In verse 3 it says, Do you not know? So the connotation of that statement is, there's, there's not, Do you not have understanding about this? Like, do you not know and believe that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So we see the value and the importance of baptism here. But let me be very clear. Paul is not saying that baptism saves, that, that we can just we can go through the motions of a baptism um, and, and, and that, that somehow, uh, you know, gives us uh, access to God. What he is saying is, is that baptism is a, is a, is an illustration. It's a, of, it's an identification with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. So now, through baptism as a symbol of what's already transpired, we understand that we are unified with Christ in the most intimate of ways. Oh, Father, that they may be one as you and I are one. That we are, we are unified as, you know, as, as bridegroom and bride. That the two will become one flesh. Um, and, and we are unified in such a rich way that when Christ died, our sin died. We died to sin. And so, um, man, this is, this is God's work in us. This is what he's after in us. We, you know, the, the neat thing is we look at baptizo, um, it, which is the Greek word here. The Greek word literally means sunk or drowned. And so when we look at baptism and, uh, and really get the, the richness of the understanding of baptism, it's about us dying with Christ. I am crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20 says, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. See, like it is, 
It is, it is a moment, that's why we talk about when we do baptisms, that we erect a, a tombstone to ourself. Like, I die that day, that, that my life shall be uh, defined by Christ. To live is Christ, to die is gain. So, we understand that the, the word even for baptism means death, that we die. And Jesus even kind of helps us understand. He says, can you be baptized with the baptism that, I mean, he's speaking to John and James. And uh, he was speaking of his death. It is a funeral of the old life. Now, because of Christ's work on the cross, we died to our old life. You know, isn't it interesting, as we've been talking about baptism over the last year, isn't it, how, how close to a person's passing, especially in the age where we didn't have electricity and refrigeration and those type of things. I mean, when a person died, how quick was the funeral? Right? I mean, I mean it, was, it was immediate, right? I mean, they did it right away. Um, Lazarus died. He was in the tomb. Jesus showed up, been there four days, right? I mean, it's quickly. And, and you know why that we, I believe that we don't see this, um, this kind of mandate in scripture, like, uh, once you come to Christ, you should be baptized, right? It's because there's an obvious connotation here. It's obvious. When someone dies, how quickly do you have a funeral? And what is the point of baptism? But it's, it's, it's a funeral to me. So that I can tell the whole world that I'm living for Christ, that I've died to me, and that I'm resurrected to the new life that Christ has purchased for me. Does that make sense? And so, so the, the, the understanding in the, in the first century church would have been, yeah, you're, you're born again. Something has died. The old life has died. You have a funeral. Well, what does that look like? Baptism. Yes, it's a funeral, but it's also a celebration because it is a declaration that I believe in the resurrection. Right? So it's a beautiful thing. By the way, I want to mention this. Um, twice a year we do baptisms. And um, we believe that the understanding of baptism is critical before being baptized. Because I've, I've encountered so many people throughout my life that have said, oh yeah, I did it here and I did it here, but I didn't really understand it. Now that I understand it, I really want to, to, to do it with, with the deep understanding that I have. It's like, going, it's like getting married and just kind of going through the motions. You know, you want to be able to stand uh, in that moment or, or, or go underneath that water, understanding that this is my burial. You know, and thank God it's water as, as, and symbolizing like the passing of the Red Sea, you know, passing from the, the, the kingdom of slavery to the kingdom of deliverance and, and all those things. And, um, but I want you to know that on September 6th, we're going to do a beach cleanup again, uh, as we did last year. Um, and uh, during that beach cleanup, as we did last year, we're going to do baptisms. So if, uh, if you are feeling uh, the, the prodding of the Holy Spirit to be baptized as a believer, we don't believe in infant baptisms, but dedications. But if you are being prompted of the Holy Spirit to be baptized and understand it to be something that's in close proximity to your conversion, and it's a symbol, it's a sign of what's already transpired in your heart and life and what your, your, your legal status is, so to speak, before God, um, please, uh, please put that on your connection card and drop that in the box in the back so that we can be discussing that together. Baptism publicly de- declares our present reality that Christ is Lord and he died to sin. And because I am united with him, I am alive. That is the, the essence of baptism. See, our union with Christ leads to a new life. So, of course, we don't continue in sin. That's, the, that's the, the heart of Paul in this statement. Its reign is over is what Paul is saying. The reign of sin has ended. So he, he continues in verse 4. He says, we were, we were buried, therefore, with him. Who's him? Just making sure you're with me here. We were buried with Christ, right? Like there's this, there's this I mean, do we, do we, I mean... All of us, I imagine, just long for the unity that we have with Christ. When, when he talks about us being his bride and, that he, and us being one with him, man, that's a, that's a beautiful thing and something that we should in our hearts long to have this, this, this union with Christ that's rich and intimate. But do you know that when Christ died, that when we come to faith in Christ, that that, that, that takes form in our life, like that, that union has that expression of our sin being atoned for. And the tyranny of death being satisfied for us. Man, that is, that is rich. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. 
in order that just as Christ, in order that here's the, here's the fruit of that, the, 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 the result of that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. So what is the fruit of the death of the tyranny of sin is that we may walk in the newness of life. Man, God does not want us to be, you know, that's why baptism is such a rich experience because we go completely under the water and it's, and it's washed away. It's, it's like it's, it is death, but it's not under the ground. It's under the water because we get to be living sacrifice because he was willing to be the dead one. But sin could not hold him. And because it didn't hold him, it won't hold us. And because he was resurrected, we have the united, unioned promise that we too will experience a resurrection. But, but the fruit of the reign of tyranny's end in our life now is we have newness of life in this time. The kingdom has been planted in us and we get to experience the joy of not sinlessness, but in the, in the mode of God sanctifying us and making us holy. We know that his grace abounds. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mm. That is that is an awesome thing. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in the newness of life. Verse five continues. For if we now the if here is 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 an understanding piece that we have come and acknowledged and understood. If we have been united with him and it's kind of saying also, man, this is what's transpired. So if this has happened, then if we have been united with him in his death like his, in, in a death like his, we shall, or another translation says, will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Man, these are the certainties of scripture. These are the promises of God. These are, these are the things that we need to, um, we need to, to, to swallow and, and, uh, and believe because they transform the way that we live. Otherwise, we're constantly trying to prove or find or solve or satisfy some urge or desire that, um, that this world can never satisfy. And yet, when we come to believe and, and know, like, like it says in John 13, he knew where he, was, where he was from and he knew where he was going. And when, when that's the truth of our hearts, when that's the, the honest conviction of our life, then we've got nothing to prove and, and we can give our lives away for the glory of God. It's kind of like what Jesus was saying in Luke 9, 23 and 25 uh, through 25. It says, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, if that's their objective. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man for if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself or his soul? And then we come to the theme verse of today's passage, Romans 6, 6 through 7 says, we know something. We know, we believe with great certainty. We, we know that we know that we know. We know that the old self was, past tense, crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Do you know that this morning? Is, is, this, is God's word being so written upon your heart, so seated in your thinking, in your, you know, that the spirit of God is continuing to confirm this knowledge, this knowing that the old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. So here's the thing. If we died for the wages of sin is death, if we died, then, uh, then, then justice would have been, 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 uh, been done. And, uh, and we would have faced the, the rightful consequences of our, of our sin. But Jesus did that for us. Jesus did that for us. That's the, that's the great declaration of his love. For one who has died, Christ dying in our place, in our stead, has, has been set free from sin. We have been liberated from the tyranny of sin. This is great news. He died our death due to our sin and gave us his life due to his righteousness. 
This is the great exchange. Verse 8 continues. Now if we have died with Christ... You know, again, the if here is kind of like, you know, acknowledging this is what's transpired. But but we, we have to, you know, as a man thinks, so he is. You know, like our, our thinking has a, has a huge part in this. Do we, do we acknowledge that we have, do we believe that because Christ died, I died to sin? Are we so are we so convinced of his word that we are unified in the work of the cross as something that has been imputed to us in our unification with Christ? Because it changes everything. It changes everything. Now, if we died, if we have died with Christ, isn't that good news that we are so unified with him, that we are so his and he is ours, that, that what, what he did is now credited to our spiritual account? Like that, that's been, that, that he as our husband has bathed his name over our lives and our old is gone, behold, all things are new. Like, is that not refreshing? And, and, and our faith in that, our trust, our belief in that liberates us. You know, and it's, 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 it's believing in what God has done and acknowledging his finishing work. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. This is a future promise that is declared in the scriptures that not only unify with him in his death and his resurrection, which means the end to sin's tyranny, but we are also, we are also promised a resurrection, which means the end to what? Death itself. And, uh, and this is our hope. And this is the hope. See, it's not just implications on our thinking, our attitude. It's implications on our living. Because we walk in the newness of life when we acknowledge that I don't have to hold on to this life. I can actually plant it in the kingdom. I can actually sow it for God's glory. I can actually serve others. I can actually give it away for the glory of God because I'm promised a new life and a resurrection. In fact, that's what he wants us to do. It's, it's, it's why we were created for, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. But we won't risk that. We'll hold on to our lives. We'll hold on to our money. We'll hold on to our talents. We'll hold on to our experiences. We'll hold on to all of it because we can't risk losing our life. Do you know, to, it's, it's about giving our life for the glory of God. And Jesus said in that, in that Luke 9 passage, until we, until we give our lives for his sake, we'll never know what life is. We'll never know what it means to, to, uh, to risk washing feet and, and, and being the lavish giver that God is to us. We'll never know the joy. It's better to give than it is. It's more blessed to give than it is received. We'll never know the joy of giving when we're trying to hold on and preserve when God says, sow it and give it away because that's the only way that you'll know the life I have for you. And the joy of knowing that sin's tyranny has come to an end is liberating from that regard. So it says, for we know, um, so we believe that we will also live with him. There's the future promise. There's, there's where you know our belief takes root and substance and then expression as we continue to uh, depend the Holy Spirit to help us to convince us of these things. Verse 9 says, uh, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. So if we're unified with him, what is the implications on our life? We won't die either. So the promise he makes in John 14, hmm, wow. Or in John 11, where he says, I'm the resurrection of life. I mean, those promises are faithful because they come from the heart and the mouth of God. Amazing. For we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And because of our unification with him, it has no dominion over us. Why? Because the wages of sin is death and the tyranny of sin has ended. Because Christ quenched our sin debt on the cross. So Paul then moves into verse 10 and summarizes verse 5 through 9 by saying this, For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And, and that's our new mindset right there, that our life should be lived to God. In other words, for his glory, for his dominion, for his, for his proclamation. Like, 
to live as Christ. Man, you know what keeps us from really experiencing the abundant life? We're still living for us. You know what continues to to keep us in the bondage to some sins in our life? It's because we're still holding on to us. And we're not acknowledging that sin has been conquered and death has been done with and that we get to be, we get to be partakers of this because we're unified with Christ in the most intimate of ways and what, what is true for Him is true for us. Like that's big deal, man. That's, that's so enriching that we know that because Christ rose from the dead, so will we. Because Christ died for sin, so have we. Man. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time, for all people. But the, peop- but the life he lives, he lives to God. That is our new mindset, our new perspective. Verse 11. So you also must consider. Man, this is where it kind of helps us understand what, 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 it, what death to sin is and it isn't. So we must, we must also, or excuse me, so also, so you also must consider, count, the NIV says, yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Man, this, this, this is our mindset that we are dead to sin. This, this, is, this, is the, this is our thinking. This is our awareness. This is our present reality. That we must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Does, does, does considering yourself dead to sin or counting yourself dead to sin, is that not a great motivator not to sin, it's dead to me. And that's not just some hocus pocus or some uh, concept that we're just trying to believe or, and wash our minds in. That's the reality. That's the truth. And that truth's power will be, will be in effect as we believe, right? I mean, like what, what kind of resurrection power is it that trans, uh, transformed us or brought us from death to life? And how did that come to fruition? Through believing the gospel, this morning, the challenge is, do you believe that, that you are dead to sin? Do you believe that you are alive to God because of what Christ did for you, because of your unifying or united relationship with a living God? And that this, this relationship isn't just about avoiding, avoiding hell. <laughs> it's about living the newness of life that is the reality of God's finishing work at the cross and the tyranny of sin has been, has been done away with. Man, that's, that's good news. So now that we can obey sin or obey God, we must obey God. Man, it's the, it's the, it's the drive of our heart and our life as we continue to entertain uh, in our minds and hearts the gospel and what God has done for us in Christ. While sin remains, it does not control me. That's the declaration of the believer. It, it, I mean, it remains in the world. The enemy can still solicit a nature that's being, that's being killed or crucified in us. And there's a present enemy with a, with a, with a declared objective. It can resist. And, and, and here's the thing that we must acknowledge. I can resist its influence with the power that reigns in me. That's the declaration. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I am more than a conqueror. In Christ, chapter 8, we'll get to that. But like that we must understand what we've been infused with by the power of the Holy Spirit, that, d- that death has been conquered. Now we are not susceptible to its reign or its tyranny or its drive or its force. We're no longer a slave to it. And so now in God's, I mean, remember in the garden, he said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Like this is, our, this is the heart of God. Like, like he's not going to force us into obedience. But now we, we're not forced into slavery to sin. Does that make sense? So we're liberated to joyful obedience. And we have a spirit that's compelling us to love God with all of our heart, mind, strength, and soul and our neighbor as a self, which covers every base. And a good thing that Christ has covered those bases and we get to walk in grace. Sin still has power in us, but not over us. Please hear that this morning. That is the truth. That's being declared here there. Let's not be ignorant to the fact that sin still has power, but not over us. We're no longer slaves to it. Sin still has power, but it's not over us. When we give in to sin, we are forgetting what Christ accomplished for us. That's what's happening in that moment. Do you know what disobedience was in the, in the Sinai for the Israelites? 
Disobedience was disbelief, the scriptures declare. And if we believe this truth about our unification with Christ and the fact that the tyranny of sin is ended and that we now have uh, the, the power, we're clothed with power from on high, we're clothed with power for radical and joyful obedience, we can turn our back on sin and we can, um, with God's help, we can, uh, we can live the newness of life that he desires for us. Verse 12 goes on and says, let not, let not. This is, this is now the, the opportunity we have as believers and we're empowered for this. Like, it's not just like, okay, now, now you need to do it right this time. I mean, we know he messed it up in the garden. Now, no, now it's different. We're, we're infused with, the, with God himself. I mean, when he said, I will never leave you or forsake you in the Old Testament, the, 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 the most profound, like, fruition of that promise is God has set up camp inside of you. So everything he's asked you to do, he will, do, he will empower you to do it. It's not by power or by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Like he is going to empower you for the obedience to that. What keeps us from experiencing that power and don't miss this is we don't have a desire to obey. And we want our sin more than we want God's will. And, and it's and in John chapter 4, verse 21, and several times afterwards, he says, man, you know what love looks like? Obeying my word. The cool thing is, is by his spirit, he's given us the power to do that. He is, he is, he's set up shop in us so that radical obedience and righteousness that is our constant status can be realized through our life. So let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passion. Let not sin, what? Reign. Look, that's, he is, he is a king that's been dethroned. Why would we put him back on the throne? Why by our actions would we, we, we give a, a defeated foe any sort of power or, or sovereignty in our life? It's, it, that's, that's what Paul's saying in verse 2. He's like, that's ridiculous. We died to sin. How could we live it any longer? Sin is not in control anymore. You have a new king and a new kingdom. Obedience is not forced it is trained in us through love and kindness. Please don't miss that. That our sovereign now, our established king, you know, if you confess Jesus as Lord, our, the Lord Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. He is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. Like, let me tell you a little bit about this king. It's in your kindness, Lord. That kindness that leads me to repentance. It is this merciful and loving king that trains us in obedience. Because we are not under law, but under grace. And in verse 13, he continues, do not present, uh, another way of looking at this, it's, it's, it's a statement of worship. Do not offer your members. Now, what is he talking about members here as we wrap this up? Um, what he's talking about when he's talking about members here is your hearts. I mean, like love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, strength or ability and soul. You know, your, your, your attitudes, desires, like, like what we, what we have, to, we have members, we have minds, we have hearts, we have hands, we have feet. Um, and he's saying, don't offer these things to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves. That, that's uh, later on in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Like this is the, 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 the heart of what's being said. But present yourselves, offer yourselves, um, to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Man, do we acknowledge in this moment, in this text this morning, as we wrap this up, that God has in Christ, through the work of the cross, that we have been brought, that we have been made, that we have been brought from death to life. We have been brought in his presence. And because we're in his presence, he's the way, the truth, and the life. We, we, we experience the attributes of who he is by being in his presence. And we have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Man, that's the mindset. It says, then present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. This is the good works that God wants to do through us. Now we take our hearts, we take our minds, we take our hands and feet, we take our eyes, we take our lives, we take our skills, we, we take our spiritual gifts, we take our resources and we offer, we offer them to the kingdom of God the one that we've been born into, to the king that takes those things and manifests them for his glory, which ultimately is for our good. And, uh, 
And God does glorious things through that. Man, the illustration that I shared earlier about uh, the American Civil War and slavery. Man, come to, to a place where you are so familiar with the freedom that we have from the tyranny of sin that we operate out of that mindset rather than continuing to think of ourselves as slaves to sin. Does that make sense? And so that we don't allow the cultural lies of slavery to sin to change the way. I mean, we're called to be peculiar people. People, We're called to live, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Like we're called to, to swim upstream. We're called to, to live differently. We, we should look completely different from the world so the world starts asking questions or makes fun of us. Either way, that's the blessed life. Blessed are you if you're persecuted for righteousness sake. If I continue in slavery to sin, it is not because I have, um, it's not because I have to, but because I don't understand my freedom in Christ. See, if a slave understands the liberty that they've been given, then they start to embrace it and they live it as a reality rather than um, continuing to walk in the old sinful mindset. And verse 14 says, For sin, and we'll continue in this past, this verse next week, for sin will have no dominion over you. Doesn't that make sense? Because of Christ, sin has no dominion, or no reign over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, help us to, um, to realize the reign of grace that you have over our lives. Help us to walk in this liberated mode um, that, um, that is willing to risk it all because we no longer live for ourselves but live for you. Um, help us to, uh, to not fear sin any longer because its reign is over and that we would live under the banner of grace, uh, willing to risk everything, knowing that's exactly what you did for us, that you gave it all so that we could have it all. Lord, I just, uh, I just pray that, um, that, this would, uh, that this would continue to not only seed our heart, but take root in our life so that in the very near future that it might bear fruit and that others might experience the reign of grace through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.